The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Happy New Year and welcome to the China Sports Insider Podcast. I am Haig Dalian and in the bubble, you know him as the China Sports Insider. It's Mark Dreyer. This week, we talked to hockey player and Olympian Rachel Lannis. She's just back from Russia where she's been playing for Kunlun Red Star. She's been in quarantine with the rest of China's women's hockey team. But first, Olympic postponement where their smoke is their fire. The closed loop management system era begins and more fallout for the WTA in China. Well, let's get to our first topic. COVID rages on as the Omicron variant infects record numbers of people. Schools are closing, qualification events are being canceled, and depending on where you live, you may be in lockdown right now. Mark, there's a lot of speculation that these games might be postponed, just like Tokyo 2020 was postponed. Do you think it's going to be postponed? Okay, let me say two things. Number one, these games are not being canceled. They're not being postponed. 100% confident of that. There's no way that the IOC, NBC, the big money maker behind it, and China will allow that to happen. These games will go on. So I think that that's number one. It, it's a political necessity that the Olympics will happen on schedule in China. And, and frankly, over here, things are fine. You know, I, I'm also going to flip it around for the, for the second thing is like, you know, there's a million cases daily in the U.S. right now. If you're China, you're kind of terrified that that all these athletes and officials and broadcasters and, and participants in the games are coming over and they're going to escape through the, the very strong COVID defenses of multiple tests and daily testings and quarantines and all. Well, not quarantines, but, you know, the bubble loop system when they get here. And so they are going to be concerned about that. But I think they have set up a system that is able to cope. What we're going to see, though, is some people are not going to be able to board their planes. I, I don't know who it's going to be. I just know that some people will not get their green codes. It's a very stressful procedure that all of us here are conditioned to as normal now. But it's 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 stressful. I was uh, talking to some some folks last night who are kind of part of the, the Olympic setup and they're coming over. And I was saying, 
you know, they, they didn't hadn't really looked much into the testing and, and all that sort of stuff. Like I said, we, we've done, you've, you've got family coming back tomorrow. They've, they've done all the, the testing, all the, the, the health codes. It's not fun. Yeah. And if you don't get that green code, if you don't get a negative test, you're screwed. Last night, I couldn't sleep because <laughs> I was just waiting for my, uh, my wife to text me that. I mean, right now they're in the U.S., uh, she and my stepdaughter, and they got their test results sometime yesterday. And yeah. They got that coveted green code. And so they'll be on a, a on a flight tomorrow from from San Francisco. Yeah, but from the Chinese perspective, for those of us who live in China, and from the Chinese authorities' perspective, this is just the way things function right now. It's become normal. But for for the vast majority of the Olympic participants, it's the first time they're experiencing this. You've already said it's not going to be postponed. It's a, a sort of a, a political necessity that that the games go on ahead. If it was up to you, do you think it should be postponed? No, from a COVID perspective, absolutely not. I mean. There's a handful of people, I think, just based on the numbers, some people will test positive at the wrong time. They won't be able to get their, their negative test that they need to board the flight. Maybe they won't get the, the, the green health code that they need to board the flight. But the vast majority of people will still be able to keep themselves COVID-free and get the necessary you know, paperwork done and come here. So are you cancelling it for the, what, the, the 1%, 2%, maybe less of, of people? And penalizing the the ninety nine percent of all the other athletes around the world who have been training for four years for this and have managed to keep themselves, you know, free of COVID. Like, I get that it's everywhere. I but I don't know. Maybe I'm coming across as not particularly sympathetic. No, but... no. But the thing is, I want I want to take a little bit of a contrarian point of view because you you you're saying one to two percent. What if athletes come in and it's more than that? What if it's like real? Once they come in, that's a different question, right? Because right? they're already here, and then they go into the protocol here. Sure. I think the the issue is that they they can't even come in in the first place. All right, so so another point. I'm I'm going to credit this point to Bob Mackin, who made this point on Twitter when he was chatting with you. Uh, he made the point that the games need foreign experts and officials too, right? And if they can't come here because they're sick, well, that's not great. I don't know how many replacement figure skating judges you can bring. Like, can they can they judge remotely? I don't know. On the technical side, um, you know, Bob makes a good point. The the certain roles that can't be replaced. I know, for example, on the Chinese side. For every person or, for, or for, 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 for every number of people uh, that they have kind of staffing inside the bubble, they have a certain number of, of replacements ready to step in at any moment should people inside the bubble test positive. I mean, they're prepared, but you're right. There's only so many top-level judges in figure skating or, or, or technical officials in some of the sports, so that could potentially pose some, some problems. But again, you're not going to cancel the whole Olympics because of that. You'll get around it or... Maybe a worst case scenario, one event or discipline might be kind of rearranged or something. Um, but yeah, the show is going on. Like like the bubble is in operation. We're less than a month away right now. I get that from an, an overseas perspective, people are kind of looking outside their window and thinking the world's on fire, mm -hmm. even though it seems like Omicron is, is not not as deadly as, as, as previous ones were. But from a Chinese perspective, it, it's happening. They're ready. They're ready to go. And, and it's already started. On that note, uh, so the closed loop management system is now in place here in Beijing. Um, we've talked about the, the system a little bit before. It was, it was outlined in the IOC's playbook. Um, but now that it's in place, we're getting a few more details. Um, and I'm actually hearing from people here in Beijing that some of the streets uh, around uh, the bird's nest are, are closing and there's a lot of Winter Olympics statues. You, you were just there, weren't you? Yeah. So think of, think of it as a series of like kind of uh, bigger or smaller bubbles with kind of connected tunnels between them. Um, you know, there'll be transport links. So there are some, some uh, you know, some of the IOC officials are staying in downtown hotels in the city of Beijing. Those will kind of be sealed off 
for, from from the general public. And a lot of the venues uh, have have been as these hotels have been. They'll have like split entrances, so there'll be kind of local entrances for for those of us who are still kind of in Beijing, uh, and then the people who are in this you know closed loop management system, kind of the series of bubbles. I think of it as like a different country because once yeah. you go in, you're in, you can't leave, and if you leave, you have to do the three weeks of quarantine. So it's it's like coming back into China. Right. So so if you're a foreigner and you come in, I mean, if you're a foreign athlete, you compete. And then after your competition is over, you leave. However, if you are, say, a Chinese national a, a volunteer. Yes. I mean, you need to do all the t- testing. You get in there and you stay there for how long? Well, you stay through. Typically, you're going to stay through the, uh, the Olympics, which yeah. will finish on February 20th. Then there's a two week break. And then the Paralympics, they don't finish until March 13th. So if you're in now, you're in for a while. Yeah. Um, and then there might, I don't know how much cleanup there'll be afterwards. That's what I'm wondering as well. Plus I'm, the quarantine, of course. Yeah, I'm, th- I'm thinking there's going to be a quarantine. So before we move on from the Olympics, uh, one of the things that you you pointed out to me earlier this week was, you know, one of the controversies of the Olympics might just be that Chinese athletes will probably not be testing positive at all. And that could give a competitive advantage to them. Again, this kind of goes down to the different perspectives that, 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 have, that have really been built over the past year or more i would say so for example you know i was speaking to to one of the coaches who's embedded with with uh, the chinese ski team the, the other day and you know they're effectively living in isolation and they have been for months and months and months so when they get into the bubble you know this is all this is all kind of normal to them um the isolation it, he said it's look to be honest he goes it's not great mental preparation at all but this is just the way things are uh, the foreign athletes who are coming in that's going to be a big struggle for them just mentally being kind of a bit more isolated. They're not going to be, you know, hanging out and, and high-fiving with each other in the Olympic Village and having a party. It's going to be very, very different. But I do think that the Chinese teams will be completely segregated and isolated once they're in the bubble, meaning that there is zero risk of them getting infected from any of the thousands of people who may be bringing COVID into the country. So I think, in all likelihood, the chances of an Olympic athlete testing positive during the Games is low. But I think, again, by by the probabilities, the chance of one of the foreign athletes or some of the foreign athletes is higher. And then people are going to call foul and say, well, why are the Chinese athletes not being kicked out of the bubble and, and kicked back to their, their quarantine rooms and their hotel rooms? And the, the foreign athletes are. And if we have a high-profile athlete testing positive, it's going to get ugly. The, the rhetoric around this is, is going to get very, very ugly. And like I said, just based on my perception of, of the COVID management, I think those tests will likely be fair, but I don't think people overseas are necessarily going to believe that, that that everything is is quite as it should be behind the scenes. All right, last topic, more fallout for the WTA, the Women's Tennis Association, as a major Chinese streaming platform, iQIYI, says they're not going to be streaming uh, WTA or ATP tournaments in China. What are you hearing about this, Mark? Yeah, so, I mean, that's basically the, 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 the long and short of it. It's clearly a political move. You know, everyone, I think, think? Is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think is aware of, 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 of the latest. We talked about it many times on the podcast, but the WTA has suspended officially tournaments here. The ATP has not yet come out and said that, but they're not having any tournaments for the foreseeable future. But tennis has basically been almost banned, uh, not quite banned, because... It does seem as if the Australian Open, which is coming up shortly, will still be on CCTV. So that's a big one. Now, technically, 
they can say that that's organized by the ITF, the International Tennis Federation, who who are responsible for kind of grassroots tennis and the Grand Slam events, even though they're fully part of the the main tours. So I think if there's a way to justify it, yeah. that's how they will do it. But they're not streaming any of the the, the WTA or the, the ATP tournaments. And, and fans have started to ask for refunds. <laughs> Now, yeah, that makes sense. So I think 1573, which is a Chinese whiskey brand, don't they have like an entire court named after them for in the in, in the Australian Open? That's a good question. I know uh, that uh, I remember a couple of years ago there was uh, there was there was a bit of a controversy amongst Australian fans because Ganton, which is a Shenzhen-based uh, bottled water brand, right. yeah, yeah, they yeah. were a big sponsor. Yeah, and there was some Australian media going doing stories, getting fans to say, "Why can't we have Australian water at our own tournament?" Why do we need this Chinese water here? And it, it was all a bit unnecessary. But the Australian Open has kind of been billed as the Grand Slam for the Asia Pacific. That's right, yeah. So obviously China doesn't have its own one, but but leveraging the success that Li Na has had, she won the Australian Open in 2014. So to try to leverage that, they've kind of claimed uh, the Australian Open as a as a big, you know, uh, uh, like I said, not a Chinese property, but Asia Pacific tournament. And so that, I think, is why we've seen a lot of sponsorships there. But uh, that may not last for too long, given uh, the political nature of tennis in the country right now. Okay, so I, I had said there was only one more step, but, but we have to talk about this one last, very, very important story. Um, crucial, it's crucial so, Olympic it's, elements, it's, yes. It's, it's incredibly important. Now, you might remember a few months ago, or a couple of months ago, uh, I think it was Xinhua News Agency, they released their Olympic song and video now cgtn has uh really up the ante mark this yeah. is this is this is an incredible video and an incredible song so uh, cgtn for those people who don't know that's the english language channel of the state broadcaster here um and they've put together well going back to the shinra one i mean that was it was a bit of a horror show to be honest it was it was something it <laughs> it's it's doing the rounds it's done the rounds on 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 you know the internet um, it was actually they repurposed a song, which is kind of catchy. So I kind of preferred the Xinhua song, but the production value was not the best. Right. Shall we say. CGTN, I thought they did a great job. Like the first minute was kind of like, you know, like really action packed, like skating noises and sounds and stuff. And then we kind of get into the song and, and it's the anchors and the, and the reporters singing and dancing. And I, know, I actually know a few of them. I was like, I messaged one guy yesterday and I was like, hey, I, what a lovely singing voice you have. And he was like, oh, you actually watched it? Why? <laughs> oh, man. So, okay, you talked about the production value. Did you look at the credits? Because, yeah. the, okay, so they filmed this. Not there was just It wasn't just filmed in China. They had they had a crew in London. They had a crew in Paris. I think it was one, there was one crew in Morocco as well because it was also in Arabic. And it was in multiple different, you know, it was in many yeah, different yeah, languages. They had their well. anchors from around the world. It yeah, was, stepping, wow. Stepping things up. Wow. Well, quite something. Yeah. For not a great track, but... <laughs> <laughs> Rachel Lannis does double duty for China's women's hockey team. She's a forward and their strength and conditioning coach. This is her first Olympics. And we talked about how the team prepared for the Olympics and, and how the vision for the team has changed over the last few years. We caught up with Rachel earlier this week, just before she and the rest of the team were let out of quarantine. You are in quarantine right now. Uh, can you tell us where you are and, and you know, when was the last time you were in China? Thanks for having me. 
it's it's good to talk to someone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know exact city we're in right now. I, I've looked it up on my phone. I can't actually pronounce it, but we're I think about fifty miles out of Beijing towards the mountains. So we're like really close to the mountains um, where our training facility will be, hopefully soon. This is uh, day nine of quarantine, and we just got a message that we should be out tomorrow. I mean, I'll just I'll just wait to hear because like it's it's usually like last second they're like oh wait never mind um, we're gonna be in quarantine for a couple more days so we'll see if it actually happens you're a player and you're a strength and conditioning coach right so you know in quarantine that seems like it would be a really big advantage so what have you been doing to keep yourself in shape and ready while you've been in your room it's a huge advantage i think because i have more time to to focus on what we we're doing in season compared to now we get some downtime, which I called like deload time. So basically our last two months of the season have been games practices nonstop. So you can imagine the physical mental stress we've been putting on our bodies and we get one day off per week. That's not enough recovery for anybody, um, regardless if you're, you know, an elite athlete or not. So we're just kind of running on, you know, an empty fuel tank, and faking it until we make it basically. Um, so the quarantine period, I try to explain to my teammates is like, this is, this is definitely um, a huge advantage for us. So we can, you know, we can bring everything back into perspective and just see, all right, where are we at um, mentally, more mentally than physically? And where do we need to be? And what can we do right now to get there? So obviously, the big picture is February 3rd, I think we're playing Czech Republic, we want to be ready to go knowing we did everything we could to prepare for that first game. So that's how I just approach it with them. On my part, every day, I'm basically looking at the schedule. It's like T minus days till the Olympics. So like, I I have to plan out accordingly. So I have about 13 players I'm individually working with right now. So each one of them needs something different, right? You can't look at each player and be like, they need this. They need that. You need to actually assess them individually um, and figure out, okay, like what can I give this person on a daily basis that's going to get them better every day? My job as a strength coach is not to hurt an athlete. So hurt meaning not to overtrain them, overstress them. So if I can ease the, the mental stress, emotional stress, I'll do that. I'll try to help them out, make it as easy as possible for them. So all their focus is just on what do I need to do in this workout to get better. So Rachel, just going back to to something you said a moment ago, they've clearly trusted you with, you know, development of your teammates in terms of, you know, you talked about the 13 that you're working with, but we've heard from, you know, it's a recurring theme, I think, in, 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 in Chinese sports, the overtraining of athletes. So, so how do you try to get that message through? Obviously they, they bring you on board um, for both roles. Um, and they and they want to learn from your expertise, but you you feel like you're constantly fighting against. No, we need more rest. We need more rest because you know we were talking to Stefan Marbury a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying, you know, I, I try to get my training down as much as possible. The the boss is just like train more, play more. You know, it's it's like it's everywhere. So so how do you how do you deal with that struggle? Sometimes we do get messages from the leaders that they're like they need to skate more, and you know at the end of practice we get a little bit of a bag skate. You just have to deal with it as hockey players, just as athletes in general. You know that you need to deal with these things. It's part of the sport. It's when you take your equipment off, those those hours right after you play are the most important in terms of recovery. So it's not so much how I'm 
am I managing that stress? No, I'm managing, I, well, I'm managing it off the ice. So basically I try to teach my teammates like, hey, like we need to do stuff and you may be tired right now, but my stuff is going to help you feel better. Rachel, you mentioned that the last couple of months had been really, really intense, lots and lots of games. Can you just describe that a little bit more? What have you been up to for the last couple of months before coming to Beijing? So we were tucked away in Moscow, like a little bit outside of Moscow, I'd say maybe like 30 minutes from Moscow without traffic. We wake up every morning, we get on a bus and the bus ride to the rink is a minimum one hour. Like it's, it's brutal. We'll have a practice and then we'll have lift at the rink, come back. And then that's, that's our day. The great part about it is we're done. Usually our day is done by 2 PM. And then you have that hour bus ride back. So you, you've obviously, you spent a, f- a fair bit of time in Russia, obviously, you, initially in the, the, the Canadian Women's Hockey League, and then when that disbanded, you guys joined the, the, the Russian Hockey League. I know you've been in Moscow. You're also in St. Petersburg. And I heard something about a walking tour in St. Petersburg. What can you tell us about that? Who told you about that? <laughs> my, my good friend, Mel, you know, God bless her. Um, she's like, she's always about adventures, right? <laughs> always about adventures like hey let's go explore and me i'm just like this introvert like i i just rather you know do read and and do other stuff just watch tv even or a movie she's like let's do this walking tour i was like okay not dressed appropriately like i had sweatpants on and like a a under armor jacket which is pretty warm and i'm like this is pretty cool like the guy was super knowledgeable and it was free like that's the one part it was free so i was like oh it's not gonna it's not gonna take too long how long can this take just four hours later, longer than four <laughs> hours. We just we just went through that. Um, I don't know if I'm saying right. Uh, Nevsky Prospect, like that whole street. We didn't cover that much space. It was just because there were so many things to see, like the churches and the bridges and the statues. Like everything has a story, and there's so much history there. And we finally get to the end, and it's by the water where this breeze is just brutal, and. I just could, I was just like, oh, okay, we're, we're done. We're done. And he, he's like, no, 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 we still, we're going to walk around the water. Like, you're kidding. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, you're, you're set to, you know, play in the Olympics now and all new memories. Rachel, how did you, how did you first get involved with the, uh, with the Chinese national team? I was playing in Boston for the Boston Pride. Before that, I was playing for the Boston Blades in the CWHL and Digit Murphy was my coach. Uh, after that, kind of like the new opportunity for NWHL happened. I, I, I went over that way. I was kind of getting into this like routine of like living in Boston and playing, you know, professionally there. And um, it was like, I was looking for like something to move on to because I was like, you can't do this forever, right? I, I don't know. It, like I knew I wanted to continue to play hockey. So I was thinking like Europe maybe. And then Dij called, said, hey, you want to come to China? And I'm just like, like that too. Like I just pick up the phone and, I was like, what do you, what do you mean? She said, I got this opportunity. Um, I want you, I want you there. I want you to play. I want you to be a strength coach. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? And she's not even giving me any details. I'll, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. I'll, I'll catch up with you. But just think about it. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, brush it off. A couple months go by. She's like, hey, do you, you think about it? Nothing. Heard nothing from her since that phone call. The main thing was she wanted me there as a strength coach, but also as a player, she was just, try to balance out those roles, I was all for it because I was ready for a new adventure. I didn't know really what to expect. Obviously, what can you? I, I spoke to Digit a few years ago when she was, well, she was, of course, coaching the, the, the club sides, but also the national side as well. 
I mean, you know her obviously better better than than anyone. She's incredibly enthusiastic, brings a lot of attention to the game and to, to the teams that she coaches. And right from the beginning, she was talking about this gold medal. You know, we can we can win, we can win at the Olympics, or, or at le- least we can win a medal. A few years on, like what what are your what are your realistic prospects for 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 the Olympics, which are you know as we said, less than a month away now. Going back five years, that was her goal. Her goal was to be competitive enough for a medal, and that being four years yeah. ago or five years ago, that honestly, with her um, charisma and her background, her experience, her leadership, I didn't think that was out of range. I thought if you could could have her in a leadership position, have the right staff, and find the right players who can also mentor the the Chinese born players. We'd be pretty competitive. I I honestly thought that that could could come to fruition in 2022. Every year we got closer to it. It just seemed like the plan, like the vision she had and the path she had placed for all of us, it disappeared piece by piece because well she she was let go by KRS. We were getting a new coaching staff, new players every season. I I couldn't tell you. I was just like I don't know what's going on. The biggest thing Digit was for us was an advocate. Everything, like, in terms of details, she would tell us everything. There was no secrets with her. Whatever she knew, whatever, you know, she'd find the answer for us. And she'd advocate for us. If we needed something, she'd she'd get it for us. Or she'd, you know, help us out in some way or another. Just every year after that, it just seemed like we don't know. We don't know what's happening. We don't. We know that Beijing 2022 is the ultimate goal. And as a Chinese North American, too, like, we didn't know if we would go. Like it, it just seemed like really up in the air. So you're just kind of going blindly playing for Kamlin Red Star, hoping that we'll get that chance. So that's all that was like the, the years after that, that was all hope. And then this year it was for sure. Like, you, like we didn't know actually that we could go participate until I want to say mid November. So we were just going like, okay, we're just going to train and see what wow, happens. Wow. And then finally, okay, now we know we're going. And now that's where I, it kind of go, plays into that timeline, right? Where that November, December, we were stressed, not just physically with practice and games, but mentally, everyone was just like, we're getting, we had meetings at like 9 p.m. every night, and then we would have games the next day. Like, it, it was just like, because we had to figure out, you know, our situation, if we're going or not. Rachel, what 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 was the forcing function in, in mid-November? Like, what happened? Basically, IHF told us we had to submit a roster. So... I mean, for a player, we're like, whatever, like, we don't, we don't have any control over that. So they couldn't submit the roster because we couldn't figure out if we were going to be eligible. And then we ended up being eligible. So they, they submitted the roster. I can't go over the details of of all of that. Don't know, like behind the scenes stuff, but we became eligible. They, they were able to roster us. And that was that turning point. So one of the things that Mark and I have talked about it a little bit. You know, one of the talking points of this Olympics later on might be the fact that the players from the Chinese team are, are quarantining, right? Or they've been training here in China. And so when the Olympics start, they're probably not going to test positive. It's quite possible that a lot of athletes that come in are going to test positive before their uh, their competitions. As a team, do you guys talk about that? Like that that how that might sort of work in your favor is that no uh, to be honest as a a team like just being in quarantine we get tested every day and it's a throat and nose swab i don't know if you guys are in china or come to china i've done three quarantines i've had my fair share of um and 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 my wife and stepdaughter are coming tomorrow so (laughs) i have that coming up well you need to not warn them about 
to swab them because it'll just freak them out. Oh no. Like the airport swab when we came in from Russia last week, um, that was like death. It felt like he had touched a nerve behind my eye. Well, I think the airport authorities um, are, are particularly wary of, you know, that's the first line of defense, right? So I think a lot of Olympic athletes, when they arrive, are going to, you know, it, like I've heard in Pudong Airport in Shanghai, people say that's particularly brutal. Um, whereas, whereas once you're in a hotel and it's just the hotel staff and they, they just kind of want to get it done, they kind of do it much more gently. But I think a lot of athletes are not going to be happy when it happens to them. Rachel, looking more specifically at the tournament, you know, have you guys as a team started to focus on your opponents in the, uh, you know, in that group stage yet? Um, but are, are you starting to focus on that, that Czech Republic game and, and the other opponents as well? As a team, mostly just like tuning up our systems. We, we tried a couple different systems against some Russian teams. We played some boys teams. We played the Russian team as well in December. And we're just trying to change, just just see what works for us, right? Our systems, what we're going to stick to, and also being adaptable if we have to change that system, you know, with any team. Because the other teams too, like, they have it accessible. Like, we play, and we've been playing on, and you can watch our games online. So if anyone wants to see our games, they can. Where we, we don't know what these teams look like, except from past tournaments, right? So there's not much footage you can get. We have four games, four different teams, so... We need to figure out what we're going to do against each of them, obviously. But um, that first game, like, I'm sure we'll we'll focus on it. Tomorrow's our first practice and, um, you know, we'll see. But I'm sure we'll touch on it. You know, you talked about five years ago, gold medal or at least a, a medal being a, being a realistic possibility. Where do you see, guys see yourselves now? You like dark horses? Are you still thinking, you know, we can maybe get that bronze? If we're saying gold medal, that's just, I, I think... You're not really respecting the teams that have been there. <laughs> like it's it's like right, right. you need to understand like Finland being mm -hmm. able to push so so far in their program and you know a controversial overtime goal in a world championship game like that close. I'm th I'm thinking more along the lines of five years ago that we'd be competitive. Like we could po okay. possibly push for one, and even just get out of our division. Right now we're looking to. We're even talking about like the breakdown, like if it, it came down to ties, like goals four, right? We've struggled offensively. That's that's no secret, right? In, in the WHL, we've struggled a little bit offensively. So we know these games are going to be low scoring. We just have to prepare for, for that. Like we're doing our best, you know, to help with offense. We brought in, you know, a couple more North Americans to help our chances. Like I, I can see us getting out of that first bracket. It's just going to be extremely difficult. Every single game, we're going to have to, you know, come at it consistently. Like our first games, fortunate we played back-to-back -back games in WHL. Our first game is not always our best game. Um, we have to learn from that. And, and usually our second game is a lot better. We don't have the time to see what those the first game is going to look like. We have to be ready. And um, we'll use this month to prepare for that. Unfortunately, we probably won't get any games this month. Our team like everyone needs to step up and practice and compete like that's we have to prepare each other for it well rachel th thank you so much for joining us really appreciate it i appreciate all this time like you know your first game is next month wish i could be there in person to see it i don't know if that's going to happen but we're going to be cheering for you for sure so good luck with that yeah for sure thanks guys that's it for this week thanks again to rachel lanis if you're enjoying the show, do us a favor and give us a rating if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and tell your friends about it. We'll be back next week. <laughs>